0: Motherhood and work. There isn't a right way or best way to juggle these, despite what you've heard or been told. No, really, there's not. Part time work has been the best fit for me and my family, but it's tough to navigate any gray area of motherhood when you don't fit neatly in a box. My name is Tiana Fesch, and welcome to the Part Time Jungle Podcast. Where we are going to build conversation and community around swinging motherhood and work in a way that works best for us and our families no matter your path it's an adventure with highs lows and in-betweens let's explore together welcome to the part-time jungle podcast thank you so much for tuning in i am so excited to be here with our guest today Dina Otoni-Badastasa. Dina is a mom to three active boys. She is also a wife, educator, entrepreneur, author, and self-proclaimed minimalista. Dina has always had a passion for supporting parents and children through the early years and beyond. She graduated with a double major in liberal arts and women's studies and went on to complete a bachelor's degree in child studies and development from Concordia University in Montreal. By day, Dina is the co-owner at Academy Preschool located in Calgary, Alberta, and Academy Playbox. By night, Dina is busy sharing all her tidbits and experience about children, parenting, and simple living on her blog and Instagram. Nothing short of ambitious, her goal is to continue to connect, grow, and always share. Thank you so much for joining me, Dina.
1: Thank you for having me today.
0: I'm excited for our conversation and where I wanted to start is I would love to hear the story of Akidemi. So this is going to be a long question, so feel free to ask me to repeat any part of it. But what initiated the idea? What prompted you to take the leap? How do you keep up with innovation and how have you grown and pivoted in these challenging times that we're all in?
1: Well, the story in itself is a long one. So, you've like, got <laughs> the first chapter in the book that we collaborated and co authored on, but I will kind of jump in a little bit to talk about it. But so, Akidemi, I feel like I was born into a family of entrepreneurs. So, I've always been exposed to that environment. My dad had his own business growing up that's been in our family for almost 80 years. So, I've just been in that. In that element all the time, and then my husband is also self-employed. So when we met, he had his own brick and mortar uh, retail space, and so there was just something about that life, that flexibility, the uh, being your own boss, that always appealed to me. And I mean, coming in from an industry of education, that's not something that happens often. My career in early child education has always been in the nonprofit sector, so when I first moved to Calgary in 2004 and I can take you right back to the day I was sitting at a coffee shop with my husband and I'd been working for a large nonprofit at the time and we're sitting there having coffee and he looked at me, we weren't married yet. He was my fiance. And he was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was 24 years old. I remember the question we were just laughing because we were just talking about just starting our life. And I remember turning around and in that building, there was, there's, a bay that's super cute it's so inviting and I remember pointing at it and saying if I can open up my own program in a bay that in, in a little building this and right in the heart of a community that would be amazing that's what I want to do one day to not have the red tape of a board and change can happen quicker you don't have to wait for everybody to get on board I want that and he was like yeah I hope you get that one day and I remember just walking away from that and being like okay I just put that out to the universe well wow. who would have ever thought that ten years later, that's exactly where Academy opened our doors. It's wild. I still think about it, and I can't believe it. So we moved into that community in 2006, and I got to know all of the different retailers that are in the the, building, the liquor store in particular. Not <laughs> often, but we just we're dying. We like our wine, so I'd go in, and I got to know him. And his wife actually ran a day home. She still does to this day, and she and I had met and communicated and we talked about just working in the industry. At the time I was managing day homes here in Alberta. They knew I always wanted to do something. And he was the one that said to me, Dina, the chiropractor's leaving. Now is your chance. You need to open this program. And that was in January of 2014. I, picked up the phone that night and I called Tristan, who I had come to know now at that point for about six or seven years. We were best friends. She had taken my first mat leave at Academy, So that's how we met. And just everything about our values aligned. And I knew that this wasn't something I could do on my own. I'm the big creative idea, programming staff person. And she's a, here's the details, the admin. We need, And I knew the two of us combined were a force to be reckoned with. So it was like we, I got like, I gotta let Tristan know. And I remember calling her and her saying to me, you're crazy. You can't just call me and say, you want to open a program. I need some more information. So that night sat down for 48 hours. I put together a business plan. I did all the research, pulled needs assessment in the community. I did it all. And, and I put together this 20 page business plan and pitch and I sent it to her. And then she says to this day, it was after reading all that and seeing the possibility, it was riskier not to do it. And so that was sort of the start of Akidemi. And now we're in year eight, which is crazy. It's crazy how quick it goes.
0: That is amazing. And what a neat story that that conversation happened in the, in the exact bay of businesses that you find yourself in now.
1: Yeah. yeah. and And it's funny, I was in... Kelowna a couple years ago and we were in actually we were in a Soyuz we were at a hotel there and we're at the pool and my kids were swimming and playing with this other family boys and the mom just happened to be sitting next to me and oh, I go I, oh, what do you do I'm a chiropractor what do you do I'm like oh I own a preschool and she's like oh where oh Calgary oh me too oh that's wonderful that's great where is your location it's in West Springs what's the name of your program academy preschool she's like you took over the bay I was in for 10 years that was my first baby that was our first business before we had kids the world is trying to tell me something this is crazy I was never one who really believed in the power of manifestation until I I saw myself kind of I had set goals and obviously you know you you put actions towards those goals and and they do really happen they really do
0: They do really happen. And then you end up sitting by the pool with somebody that was in the space that you're in. That is amazing. That is such a great story. So then I'm curious, because you're a mom of three boys. I'm a mom of three boys. And how does this all work with being a mom and the whole mom juggle?
1: I mean, I think I've done a really good job of realizing what my needs are because if I can meet my needs as a woman and as and as a mom that I will be a better parent a better wife um, a better person and I'm a very ambitious like my husband you getting into a relationship like I am ambitious I know what I want I have big goals for myself and he honored that so I think aligning yourself with a partner first off who really is on the same page as you. You guys have the same values. You have the same morals. You're raising your family based on that. And and then in addition to that, is supporting you through these sometimes lofty goals that you might have. And my kids see that. And I feel like they're empowered by that. It's helping them to navigate the world by seeing my mom can set time aside to do the things that she needs to do to accomplish her goals. And at the same time, still be there for me. I always say, whether you're a parent of a a two-year-old or a parent of a 19-year-old. I mean, I have a 19-year-old, so trust me, this is still a thing. You have to create some sort of routine around that, your relationship. It sounds crazy to say that, and I'm not saying to schedule it, but we do have a routine. My older one knows to come and spend time with us every Sunday night. It's dinner with us. It's that time where we're setting aside to sit down, to connect, to talk, And I mean, I'm always there for him no matter what, but we do make this effort where this is the time. And with younger children, it's no different. You know, we set out a strong routine. My children know it's predictable when they come home, what's set out, when I'm going to connect with them, what that's going to look like. You know, I think parents sometimes, especially women, their roles were the caregiver. We have to be there. We have to be involved in every single thing. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that's not what connection is based on you know, connection is based on really carving out that time. And I say this to parents a lot, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of child led play, where your child takes the lead and you, you're going to create this incredible attachment with your child that they will feel like they can trust you, they can come to you. And, and then building in the quiet playtime and the time for them to be on their own and the boredom time. And those are your times to get things done. So I think for me, it's all been about creating that sort of routine and structure where I'm carving out time for myself. I'm not the 5 a.m. mom who wakes up. Do I believe in that necessarily? I think there's a lot of people who push that kind of stuff, but I don't, I don't think it's necessary to if it works, it works for you. Go for it. But I've I've managed to get a good eight hours or nine hours of sleep. I'm on the whole sleep train lately. And I'm waking up at 7, 7.30 and my day is great. I don't need to say, I need my kids still asleep and I can make time for myself. I think, I think we need to think a bit bigger than that, where we need to empower children to know that I need this time to do the things that I need to do too.
0: Well, and I think that's a good model, right? For them to see, to see their mom or dad prioritize themselves because then i think they're going to do the same thing right they're going to make that time and space and be able to say you know what i need some time by myself or i need to do this something for me and i think that is such a such a great way to do it i i personally do get up early but i do, i know that's not for everybody and it's only because i know for myself I do need that little bit of sort of quiet time before the the whole house gets up. And it's funny, our oldest does as well. So he gets up earlier than he needs to, just so he can have some quiet time to himself. But that's kind of his thing. And I get it. With two with two brothers.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he recognizes that need for himself is so powerful. That's that's and and it's most most likely due to your role modeling that and seeing that, right? So, of course, I feel like there's, there definitely we definitely hold space for those who want to wake up early. <laughs> That's great, but you know what? I feel like I look at my kids now, and I they sleep in. They don't even wake up early anymore, right? So, there. I, mean, I think it's also where you are in that stage in your life too, right? The seasons oh, of your life. Totally,
0: yeah. Because yeah, things change with the seasons, and I mean, I've got you know, another one of our three who would just stay in bed and read all day. And he doesn't need to get that early time and that quiet time. And yeah, all all the different ways. But I do think it's nice. You're right. We don't have to be available for our kids 24 seven and just creating that intentionality around that quality time. Yesterday, when you were talking, I was thinking with our middle little guy, he and I sat down and played a best of three of Battleship for half an hour. And that was perfect, right? We had a great time together. And then he was ready to go and read his book by the fire. So it's just, it's nice to have those times together for sure, but it doesn't have to be a huge event or the whole day. (laughs) Ah. And I'm curious, because as an educator and a mom myself, what has the experience been like for you of wearing these two hats in both motherhood and work? And have you had any challenges or benefits or interesting insights that have come with this?
1: Yeah, I think you realize very quickly from the start that regardless of all the things you might know, being an educator and what your best intentions are, you know, you're still human. You're still a human. And, you know, parenting is, Hard. It is it's hard. And so I feel I do have that toolbox that I can circle back to because I've I've learned those tools along the way. And and I feel like part of my job now as an educator and, and working towards working more with parents is being able to, you know, support parents to put together a toolbox so that they have those things that they can pull out. And and literally taking a breath for For a minute and walking away is a tool. And I think parents don't recognize that they can do that sometimes. You need to be told. But yeah, I mean, I definitely have not stepped away sometimes and have not taken a breath. So, and I think your past experiences play into it too, you know, how you were raised and. And sometimes that's not the best thing either. The approach that sort of your parents t- have taken and in, in, in raising you and how they managed regulation and emotions and still, and it comes into play. So it's been challenging. Yes. As a parent, and I've had the tools to be able to grow as a parent as well, but also really have been mindful of just reflecting and being more aware of what kind of parent do I want to be? What are our core values as a family and was that really the best approach that I took when I flipped out, lost, you know, flipped my lid, and then and yelled? But we all do. We all get there. You know what I mean? That happens. Those moments happen, and then it's just really being aware of how can I do that differently next time. And so, yeah, the juggle and struggle is real of being a mom and an educator.
0: It really is, and an interesting one. And I'm curious on your perspective on this because sometimes. Changing back and forth a little bit from that teacher hat and that parent hat can be a little bit tricky. And I know sometimes our kids don't feel maybe the most lucky to have a dad that's a principal and a mom that works in education as well, because, you know, there's sort of that line. We want to help them and support them with what they're learning about at school and some of the things that they might be struggling with. Do you find that hard sometimes, or do you have some things that help you sort of navigate that as you're supporting ki- your own kids with what they're learning about and doing at school?
1: I feel like my kids are sort of past the point of where I could support them in their education. I think people always come to me and say, "Dina, like you're you're a teacher, so you know," and yeah, you know, and and but I'm also I work with younger children. Zero to eight is sort of my my thing, right? So and my kids are. My biological kids and my my stepson are both past that age point now. So I'm learning with them. That's what I tell my staff as well. That's sort of our philosophy at AkidMe. We're co-imaginers, we're co-learners, we're co-researchers. So as much as I think I might know, I don't. We're learning alongside them. I mean, and my kids sometimes surprise me with what, and I learn from them. So I really feel like there's this, this almost shared responsibility of this mutual respect to say, yeah, okay, you know, an understanding that They're not, maybe the executive functioning skills aren't there to have made the right decision. I think about the brain development side of it. And then I think about the emotional side to it too. And it's okay to feel the way they feel because they're at this point in their life and they don't maybe have the ability to regulate or to navigate those emotions. And so my job is to, to help them work through those things. And then when it comes to the schooling stuff, my middle child... This is where I think I learned a lot in terms of myself as a parent and as an educator he was diagnosed ADHD and attentive with a severe receptive and expressive language delay. And so for a long time, I guess I was in denial because even as an educator, I saw the red flags and I didn't choose to ignore them. I think my ego got in the way and I thought, no, we're going to work on this. I can do this. I can support him. I got this. And then, so on the flip side, that's sort of the challenging side of being an educator and coming to the table with your child is that I had to really think about what was best for him and and not for myself. When we got the diagnosis, it was kind of like, okay, this is not something I can help him with. I need to learn strategies so that I can support him I need to learn how to help him learn, right? So I didn't have all the answers. And yeah, so it's,
0: uh, you're right, it's a double-edged sword. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. And we have a, a child who has been diagnosed with ADHD, inattentive type, and anxiety. And it definitely has been a learning experience for both my husband and I, for sure. And a lot of it is exactly that, learning the strategies that we can implement to support him and kind of coach him on and then communicating and advocating when necessary he's older so he's able to do a lot more of that himself but just sharing that with his teachers and just kind of making sure those lines of communication are open but yeah the struggle is real it's hard and learning is such an emotional experience for our oh. kids for parents yeah, <laughs> for I everyone
1: educators and I mean your husband's Uh, junior high or high school
0: he's now elementary yeah elementary principal yeah
1: So I feel like you come with also these academic outcomes that you have these expectations about too and so that puts pressure on you as well and I don't I don't want to put those pressures on my children and so we've been very clear with um, our middle child and we've said to him all I want is if you put in the effort whatever comes out of it I don't care it could be you could have failed it I don't care but if you put any the effort, then I know you worked hard and you're shining. You're doing that. You're doing you. And that's all that matters. So and I feel that's also shifted my philosophy a little bit as well as as an educator.
0: right? So. Yeah, no, it really has. I think just my whole thoughts, feelings, living the experience of, of really having to navigate inclusive education has helped me to grow a lot I think in it and appreciate the process and the challenges that come with it and also the successes and insights that come with it too yeah yeah it's been an interesting ride for sure now as parents we obviously want to support our children in learning growing and experiencing and exploring opportunities
1: play is not just for the work of children play is a lifelong cyclical thing. I tell this, which I just got off Clubhouse and had this conversation. I'm addicted to Clubhouse, yeah. I had this conversation with a few other educators and we were talking about play and tapping into our own play. And I feel like we forget that play starts out as something joyful. It's because we're curious. And I see that, I get to see that every day at work because I see young children still have that ability to, to, it's almost like a superpower. They can wonder and they create and Through that comes this joy. And even through the failure, those are the emotions we need, we need in life. Okay, the blocks fell down. What do I do next? The problem solving, and then figuring out comes this whole other happiness. So and this joy. And that's play. And I feel like as adults, there's almost two two streams. There's the play in our passion and our side hustles and in our You know, tapping into, if you were a hockey player, still going out and skate and dancing and music. But then there's also finding play in our work. And I really feel like you want to do things in life. I I almost feel like our core value here at home is playfulness. I can't come to work and be playful and enjoy what I'm doing. And even through the failures, learn and have this high, oh my God, I figured this out. Then I don't know, for me, it's just the foundation of everything.
0: It really is. In our family, I find that it's those playful times that create the best memories. And they're the experiences that we just always talk about. And it's just so fun to to laugh and and learn through play. It is so such a valuable thing. And I think sometimes. I mean, right now it's interesting because so many of the structured activities that many of us are used to having for our kids just aren't there. And there's all this time. And I was curious what that would be like for our family. So I feel like we don't overdo it. Our kids kind of each pick a thing and two play hockey, which does take a lot of time. But you know what? They've been okay. They've been okay. okay. More than okay.
1: I feel like we for, we for, I feel like in some ways everything that we're going through has been so good especially for parents in our world today to slow down. You know, unless your child is going to be the next Wayne Gretzky and you will see that at a young age. Listen, I played very competitive hockey at a very high level and I was around that world for a long time. I eat, sleep, Mm, hockey that was it and there was that potential and you know what it was stressful and I loved it but I didn't love it that much I loved all these other things in my life I loved my my time to to just strum my guitar in my room and write poetry and do all these things that my parents maybe with their intentions were good but they were like no you've got practice no you've got to go outside and and you know on my makeshift rink take shots on the net I didn't want that for my kids I wanted them to really enjoy childhood. And I feel like a lot of people are forgetting that we live in a safer world today than any other time, any other time, all of the science, I'm a science, you know what, if you follow me, I love my science. Research says that more than ever today, children are safe, but yet yeah, you don't want to see children playing in the streets like we did 20, 30 years ago. My brother and I, we'd wake up, go outside and we'd be outside all day. I remember coming in and washing my hands and the water would run gray from like the cement. I would be playing in the dirt and the mud. I said to my husband, when we got married and we knew, I mean, we had Dominic and my stepson came into my life. He was two. And right away we were like, we're going to commit to one. Yeah. Sports definitely have a place and, and value for sure, but he doesn't need to do everything. And I found there was a lot of competition. A lot of moms like my kid does this, 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 and I was like, we are not going to be those people. He is going to choose one thing. It'll be what he likes. If he doesn't like and he wants to move on, he gets to move on. That's not our choice. Yes, we have to push our children a little bit to try and commit. That's part of it. But when they're done, they're done, and you know that, and they know that. And so we allowed them to find, you know, the joy in in that in that team sport or individual sport, whatever it was that they committed to. But then I kicked them outside, and sometimes I even lock the door, and I'm like, you're going outside figure it out. You've got two hours, ring someone's doorbell. You guys are going to play. And we look at our 13 year old. Now, my husband and I were just talking about this morning. We love that he is immature and not immature by the standards of developmentally, by the standards of today's world. He's immature. He is a child. He goes outside. They built a massive fort. They brought sticks from down the street and some forest that they found and they created a to It is amazing what they did. And he's out there with eight, nine, 10, 11, 13 year olds, all of them together. And there's so much play and learning and value without having an adult hanging over them, the problem solving, negotiating, all these things that are happening in this space and we need to remember that we need to give children that opportunity. Like it's those, all of that will carry through with them through life.
0: And it's just a, it's that opportunity. And I'm gonna have my kids listen to this episode so that they can hear that I'm not the only mom that locks the door and tells them <laughs> that they need to go outside. <laughs> that's good. We can be united on that. So, but it's I'm so true. Keeping an eye on them. I'm definitely keeping an eye on them. I'm sitting there. It's yes. <laughs> not just
1: like letting them go. It's not a free for all. No,
0: no, I'm yeah. the same, but it's like, no, you're outside. And you know what? It's funny. Maybe at first there's a little bit of boredom, but that's not a bad thing. They always find something to do. And it's funny just this past weekend on, on Monday, on the family day, we went hiking With one other family. So we were in a group of under 10 (laughs) outdoors. But the kids, there was these giant snow banks by the parking lot. And they we had to tear them away because we were all getting hungry and needed to go get some food. But they were building a fort and doing various things. And yeah, 14, 12, 10, and 9. They were Mm -hmm. having the best time ever. So I think it's so good creating the opportunity for kids to just play. And for adults to just play too.
1: Yeah, jump in there. Next time you're going to be building. the
0: <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. They'll probably tell me to go away and find my own base. I'm curious too, what are your own kids' favorite ways to play or favorite things to play with? And what are your favorite ways to play as a family?
1: My boys are outdoor play for them. That's really they're very physical. They like to move their bodies. And so we, we walk, we bike, we ski, we swim. You know, people thought we were crazy to put a swimming pool in our yard in Calgary, but we love to move. And so yeah, I think for us as a family it's and individually, that's where you'll find my kids. If you were to pull up on my street at any time after school, my kids are out there. They've built ramps. They've built, they've done it all. It's incredible to see them come together and what they can create when they are playing. Now, when it's it's indoor time, don't get me wrong. My kids are, they're a product of today's world. They do use technology and we do monitor it and we use a, an app called Hour Pact. And they get, I don't like to micromanage that. I want to, I want my kids to know that I trust them. So they get an allotted time that they can use at their choosing on Friday, Saturdays and Sundays. They're not allowed during the week just because there's just too much stuff going on after school, and I'd rather them play outside. So they they and they they pick playing outside over being on electronics any day. My kids, I try and and think about their age and be mindful of where they're at. Anthony recently got a microscope, and Stefano got the whole rock washing. I don't even know what it's called. Some system my dad sent it to him, and I just let them go and and create and be with these really cool. STEM kind of toys if they were inside. Lego's still a big thing in my house. I think Lego's a staple in everyone's house,
0: but oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, we have a Lego problem at our house, but it's a good problem. I'll take that problem for yeah. sure. <laughs> it definitely is a favorite. And it ends up, I don't know, it just explodes everywhere, but it's all good. <laughs> it's all part of the creative process, right? And actually our youngest, he's just very into creating. So it's sometimes I have to remind myself because He could be a little better at the cleaning up part, but he loves digging through our recycling bin and creating various things and contractions. Okay. Okay. So this is
1: what we did. We equipped him with what we call the art cart in his room. And I put on the bottom shelf where the bottom rolly cart is scraps. I'll just wash yogurt cups or anything and I'll just throw them in there. Then he's got his tools on the second shelf. So he has glue, a glue gun, because he's old enough and knows how to use it, all kinds of different types of tape, um, scissors. And then on the top is paint markers, string, wire. And he comes up with these things. And to him, they are amazing. And I validate all the time. Like, that is so cool, bud, like amazing. But the scrap that's around my house, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, Ben, I can't. Like, how do we get rid of this without him knowing, right? But he is a creator. And there's something incredible about that there's really something so cool. I look at him and I just I admire that so much. I'm I'm a bit of a creative too, and so I I love that. My husband, who isn't, is and very linear in thinking, and like the opposite is like, what's going on? Uh, funny story, just to to talk about creators and and our young ones. But we were in Kelowna at at a pool, and the kids were kind of getting bored, and they were. Stefano was my youngest, was reaching through the fence and trying to reach for something. And my husband walked over. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm trying to get my guy. I'm trying to get my guy. And Ben's like, what guys, I don't see what you're looking at. And he finally reaches and he pulls this rock out and he's like, my guy, this is my superhero. And Ben's just looking like, what? And I'm like, that is a product of a right there. That child is, he uses his imagination and he's creative. And yeah. So it's just, they're very, yeah, it's very unique and very special. And I love that.
0: Oh, I do. I do too. Absolutely. And it's funny, the card idea. I'm trying to think about how we could incorporate that for him. Our front closet, instead of hanging jackets in it, it's literally a maker space for Carter. It's drawers full of pom-poms and elastic bands, all the things. And it he's in there all the time. It's just so funny. But yeah, you, you can't ha- hang jackets in her front closet at all. <laughs> but I love it. Yeah, his mind just amazes me all the time, the ideas he comes up with. Now, you recently launched the Play Playbox, which encourages kids to engage in sensory play. So I'd love to hear more from you about what is the Academy Playbox? What is sensory play and what are the benefits?
1: Well, let's start with what the Academy Playbox is and how it came to be. So let's go back in time to 2014. Tristan and I opened up Academy and we're rolling out this beautiful philosophy, this emergent approach, which is really still not happening in most centers. That's a whole other story. But we know it's the most innovative and best practice, and, and a big part of that is loose parts and 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 this sensory play. And so we were really excited about what we were offering parents. And we were like, we need to bring this into home some, somehow. And in 2015, 2014, 2015 was this really started this movement of subscription boxes. We go back in time. That's when everybody got a subscription box. And so fact that fun was the thing. And and we were like, what if we created something that was for younger children, like targeting children, but it was just a box of all these loose parts. Would parents think we're crazy. And so we thought about it. We were in the middle of year two of a business. Is this really a right time to be starting something else? Probably not. So we always just kind of lingered in the back. And then two years ago, we had a practicum student do her capstone project on how to bring together this potential sensory bin for families and what would our role be as the educational experts? Because there was a bit of a start of a movement of people creating sensory bins, but it was rice and a scoop and this and that. There wasn't really much more to it than that. We got to bring what we know and and they're charging $40 or $50 for like this one, one way to play with this. Parents don't know they need more than that. And so we put together this whole plan and then this whole capstone project came together. It was beautiful. She presented at the end, the prof came into our, our program and was like, you guys actually need to do this. This is amazing. And we're like, oh, we don't have time. We were already at that point, starting to look at opening a second location for Academy. So that's where we were. We put it on the side, we left it where it was and then COVID hit. And that March 15th, when we were told that we would have to shut down our program with possibly, and at that point, not a lot of people knew that, yes, child care was probably going to be resurrected, but preschool was being pushed under the same sort of directive as the education system, even though we fall under the Children's Services Ministry. And we knew we weren't going to be able to open back into September. And so to sit there with no revenue, we're all parent fees. So no revenue coming in my staff, how can I support them? You know, what can we do? And the, I actually had hired the capstone student who did the project was working for Academy. So on March 17th or 18th, we all got together and we sat down and we're like, what are we gonna do? And we saw other programs in the city offering they're dropping off supplies and doing this online learning. And we knew that that wasn't the best way for children ages three to five to learn. You cannot have a child sitting there for an hour at that age in front of a screen and being engaged. It's just not possible. We know children are engaged through hands-on learning, that curiosity, that wonder, that provocation will engage them. So we sat there and we're like, what can we do? And the the student said, you guys have to do this box. It has to happen. And we're like, well, what if we just did it for our families at Academy? We'll put together 10 different ways to play. Let's get for sensory materials. Let's get all the tools that we need. What do we use here at academies? We want, we set it up, we looked at it, we played with it. And then we're like, okay, how do we source these materials? This is not something that as business owners, we didn't do retail. That wasn't our world. That's a whole other thing. I'm a teacher. I'm good at that. And I'm good at running my business. I have the customer service skills and all those, and the, but retail and product development and all of that was all new to us. And we had to learn it in a month. <laughs> we literally got together. Tristan and I just took, we we just took the wheel and we went. We sourced all of our products. We called people we knew in the industry that might be able to support us. I'm going to give a shout out to Pinnovate, Kiki. She's the owner. She had my back. She helped me source material. She taught me things I had no idea about in terms of marketing. And it was amazing to see even community come together to support us. And then we had influencers who I'm friends with, who said, Dina, you can't just roll this out to your own families at a kidney. You got to push this out to Calgary. I'm going to help you. You just send me a box and I'll do my thing. And so when we were like, let's do a pre-launch. We'll see what happens, if there's actually any interest in it. And I think it was April 25th. We didn't even have all the materials yet. We're going to pre-launch and we don't even have everything yet. What happens if we don't get it? Because we had heard there was delays in shipping and everything. And we had 200 orders in two days. And we were like, oh my goodness, there is a need for this. There is a gap in this market. And because it's coming from two people who really understand, who are experts that people really look up to for this information, we need to do this. So it morphed into then the summer, continuing to grow it. Then Jillian Harris got her hands on a box and shouted it out. And then next thing you know, we sold 500 boxes in a month. And so we're at a bit of a standstill on where it's going. I'm not going to lie, because we are looking at opening a second location. Running two businesses is a lot more work. But you asked about the benefits of sensory play and why it was important to us. I mean, there's a ton of benefits that come from sensory. And especially in these times, we know the social emotional part is so important. More than ever, children need an outlet. And with younger children, that comes through playing with sensory materials. The movement, the connection, the brain... Just to be able to calm down, the quietness that comes with it. It helps to it helps to build nerve, nerve connections in the brain. It encourages their motor skill development, language development, scientific thinking, problem solving, mindful activities, which are beneficial for children. So there's, there's so much that comes out of it. And so I think that was the important part for us when creating the bin that set us apart from everyone else's sensory bins out there that you can pick up is that we shared. The outcomes with the parents. What is your child going to get out of setting up this water play activity, or these water beads, or this crinkle paper? What is the benefit, and how can you support them? So these are all in our pins and our cards. And what questions can you ask when your child is playing? And that's kidding me. That's what we do at work every day. I mean, we go much deeper. It's part of our philosophy, but you can do this at home. And that, the learning that your child will do in that bin for just 20 to 30 minutes, what it'll buy you to get stuff done around your house. But that learning and being able to connect that pedagogy with what they're doing, then parents feel more empowered. That's how Academy Playbox came to be.
0: That is an incredible story. And it just seems like so many pieces kind of came together in a way at the right, time. Again,
1: <laughs> it manifested itself. we talked about it five years ago. I pulled out a paper that I had in March that I had, we had documented, I keep all of my notes of meetings we've had. And I just happened to be going through stuff because I knew we had documented some stuff on their sensory bins. And it said, academy goals, one, to open multiple occasions, two, to create a sensory play box for parents. And that was like 2015. And six years later, here we are doing it. It's, That's
0: amazing. Yeah. That is so neat. So is it uh, a subscription box at this point or is it you order it once or how does that work if parents decide that they'd like to look into that?
1: So we struggled a little bit with the subscription part of it, just the all the logistics that come with that. How do we store all these materials? What do we order in advance and how much? What's the investment up front that we're going to put ourselves in financially the unknown was very scary for us. I mean, running a preschool, the one benefit to owning a preschool is there's a lot less unknown on the financial side and risk because you know in January who's coming next year for the entire year. A lot of businesses would say the financial side is the unpredictability. For us, it's it non-issue. So the subscription, we kind of put it on hold. We originally had it up. We had maybe 10 people enroll in it. And we're like, I don't know if we can do this. So we, we pulled off of that. Because we started to see other sensory bins coming up a lot of people have been starting I think this copycat movement but nothing I think what sets us apart is it already came with 12 ways to play and the thing that we we have to do a better job of, of maybe conveying is that your child doesn't play with that one way one time like showcase that for them two three times maybe on Tuesday and Thursday one week and then switch another week. that can bring you through many many weeks of playing And you can revisit those original concepts. So we're like, do we really need a subscription or is this one way to play that's gonna carry you through? And maybe every season we can do a new sensory material because you can always use a scoop and you can always, the scooping, dumping, pouring, those things are all the skills we want them to be doing. But if you have the tools already, then why reinvent the wheel? So that's kind of where we're at right now. So it's just a one-time purchase. You buy your play box. It comes with everything you need with the 12 ways to play. And then we also include ideas that you can use materials that you have at home. So sensory materials like oats or shaving cream or things that you already have on hand and things that you can add to the play that you probably have in your house as well.
0: Well, and as you were talking, I was thinking as well, with sort of that instructional piece, like the why behind it, and sort of the benefits and the learning that comes through that sensory play, and with the suggestions that you're giving to, I imagine so many parents, it sort of opens your eyes. You know, when you're in a certain mindset, like you're shopping for new windows, you see windows everywhere. So when you're introduced to a way of playing for your kids, all of a sudden, you know, you sort of look around and you think, oh, like that would be interesting to see what they would do with that and sort of adding in those pieces as well. It's such a fantastic starting point. And if our kids were a little bit younger, I'd be all over it. <laughs> but truly, I bet if I had one, they would still play with it. I'll be honest. <laughs> well,
1: my kids might, they'd yeah. come, up, come upstairs and they'd be playing and I'm like, what are you going <laughs> oh, to in your academy sensory bin? I'm like, okay. <laughs> Yeah so yeah. Yeah.
0: 100%.
1: I think it comes back to that same like you were saying your your youngest is in his maker space and Seth in his I think this is the beginning of of those boredom busters giving your children the opportunity to use imagination to build skill and to trust themselves in their own play.
0: It sounds incredible, and I I really loved learning a little bit more about it when you were sharing it on social media. It looked like a lot of fun, really interesting, and with so many fantastic benefits, for sure. Now, the juggle (laughs) of motherhood and work is wonderful, but it can be crazy and overwhelming at times. And I know that simple living is a part of... Uh, your philosophy and, and approach to motherhood and work. So how has this helped you to find calm in the chaos? And what are some strategies, tips, or tricks that might be helpful for other moms?
1: So for us, the thing I say at home all the time is everything has its place. And I don't mean that just physically, like everything has its place from time management to having a predictable environment to have a routine. And I think that's really helped. And of course, just having our environment is quite, I mean, if you follow me on social media, you know, we are minimalist through and through. I like to keep our environment as simple as possible and my children thrive in that environment. So it's just knowing what your family's needs are and also having those core values to help guide you. Bring all those things together have Created This space that we call home, where when we come to it, you know, in our day to day, we know where, where things go, you know, what comes next, we know, and it just helps create this simple living environment. My kids just feel like there's nothing unexpected. There's no unpredictability. I think that that's part of calming the the noise around us. I did a live last night with a parent coach. And and we were just chatting about this, especially through right now through the pandemic. I think a lot of people are trying to simplify things to make things easier, and you see how everyone's everyone's renovating their houses. Everyone's on the, the, the minimalist train, and but I think just creating a routine. I cannot stress that enough, especially if you at any age, your children at any age, but younger children, you know, visual visual cues. So having pictures so your child know what's coming up next. If you're homeschooling, have that schedule for them so that they they know what the predictability is there, and they know you know what's coming up. And yeah, I think for me, that's been always been kind of my go-to. I even write it sometimes on the mirror in their bathroom. I'll take one of those dry erase markers and kind of run through the day for them. They're a little bit older, so it's a bit different. But when they were younger, there was uh, visual cues in in their bedrooms, in the bathroom, and on the way down through the hallway, just as a reminder. Another thing I do, I think that I, I didn't talk about in terms of Simplifying your life as a family is meal planning. And and this is a big thing for me. I talk about a lot on social media. Meal planning has been huge. And again, also just creating an easier routine in the morning for my children is we know what's for breakfast every day. We start the day off with Mondays. They they said they got to pick what it was. We kind of revisit every few months, but they know Mondays is waffles, Tuesdays is eggs, you know, and so it just before we were doing that, it just seemed like mornings were crazy. They would come down like, I want this. I want that. Where now it's like, this is what we're eating. So you guys picked it and being firm and kind of sticking with that. Right. I think just it comes down to creating those those predictable routines.
0: Yeah. And you're so right. And I love to, you know, as our kids have gotten older as well, Involving them more in those decisions, but in creating that structure for themselves. Our youngest struggled so much with the breakfast thing, so he made for himself his breakfast plan for the week. And it was great because he would just come down and see that on exactly on Monday, that was what uh, he wanted. And in our family now, we kind of uh, the kids eat at different times because they're getting up at different times and that. But yeah, he he loved that making his own schedule completely removed the stress. So just the predictability makes such a a big difference and can be a great way to get started with that simple living philosophy. I really like that. Now in the part-time juggle, we like to keep things real about motherhood. And I'm wondering if you have a mommy mess up that you would be willing to share with us. So it could be a mistake, but I always like to think about it more as like a learning opportunity that you've had as a mom.
1: I'm going to just circle right back to my ego getting the way with with Anthony, and so I would just say really intervention always, and I say that to parents all the time. And yet, here I was living in this moment where, and I can give you even a, a concrete example. I can remember we were in his room; he was three years old, and we were learning about colors. So I, I made this game on the floor. I put all these different colored. Flash cards, flashcards on the floor and there were shapes. And I was like, you're going to go to the blue one. Don't touch the floor. It's lava. And okay, let's go to the red one. And he would go to yellow. And then he was going to green. And I was like, oh, he's colorblind. And I'm like, oh, Ben, he's colorblind. And I was like, are you sure? Cause he's doing this with like shapes too. And are you sure? My gut was telling me Dina, something is up. I don't have any regrets. It's not a mistake. Like you said, it's not, but I do look back and I'm like, oh, if I could have just gotten the earlier intervention. So follow your gut, follow your gut. As a mom, as a dad, you know, your children best. He's thriving now. He's doing amazing. He got on the honor roll. He has all the strategies that he needs and we advocate for him and he's advocating for himself now. He's doing great. But I, as a mom, that moment of looking back and remembering when we brought him in to get assessed later and thinking I could have done this earlier. Yeah. I had that moment where I cried myself to sleep. And I mean, I'm sure all of us as moms have been there and, and just my head was spinning. I can remember that night in bed and just thinking, like, what did I do? Why didn't I go earlier? What was I thinking? Like you, as a parent, you think people look at me think like, you're the expert. She's got it. She would know. She, no, I had my moments too. Right. So
0: Yeah. Yeah, And we all do. And I feel you on this one so much because it was exactly that for us as well. And looking back, there are those red flags and you think we can sort of manage things ourselves, but then you realize, no, no we definitely need to kind of get that the clear sort of sense of the puzzle and what's going on and that greater understanding and those additional strategies. And before we wrap things up, I'm wondering if you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom for moms who are listening, who are looking for some inspiration or support with their own mom work juggles?
1: Oh, I mean, put yourself... Put yourself first. I always say that. It doesn't mean you're being selfish. It doesn't mean you love your children any less. You need to know what your needs are. Because if you can't meet your own needs, then you can't meet the needs of the children. I mean, mom guilt's a real thing. I feel like we all see the Pinterest-worthy moms out there. And you got to get away from the noise. Unfollow that. Look at the realness. Like you need to connect with your child. It doesn't mean you have to be with your child 24-7. Kind of just coming back to some of the things we talked about, right? And... And I mean, before you know it, look, my 19-year-old just moved out this summer. I mean, and, and you talk about mom guilt, you think, is it us did something that we did? No, he's just being independent and growing up, but it goes so fast. It goes so fast. So even in the hard moments, embrace it. Look at it as a teachable moment for both your child and yourself, because Every step along the way is just leading you to just letting go of their hand. And before you know it, they're walking out the door. And so, and when they are gone, it makes more space for you. And that's why you got to know who you are. Our kids were used to go to, they go to bed at like 8, eight thirty, And then the other one would be upstairs with us till 11 and hanging out. And now that's gone. And, and so even Ben and I had to have find ways to reconnect in that. And it's, it's been, it's been wild, but yeah. So I have any advice to slow down, enjoy the moments, tune out the noise and some of the, the stuff that you see out there is not really real. They are those picture perfect, Pinterest worthy moments that people capture. That's not the real moments. The messy moments are great too.
0: Dina, thank you so much for sharing your time and words of wisdom with us today. If our listeners want to learn more about you and all the amazing things that you're up to, where are the best places to find you?
1: The best place to find me is on Instagram on move play mom. So move.play.mom. That's the handle. If you want to check out Academy Playbox or Academy preschool, it's just at Academy play or add Academy preschool. If you're an educator and you want to follow our preschool, we're going to be sharing a lot more about sort of our philosophy and our way. It's kind of our, our messaging that we want to just empower other educators. Instagram is probably the best way. And now I'm all over Clubhouse. So if you want to come to Clubhouse, <laughs> I'm going to start my own club. I'm going to be in room. We're doing parenting. We're doing all the
0: things. So. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dina. It was great to connect with you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Part-Time Jungle podcast. I'm your host, Tiana Fesh. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Part-Time Jungle and on my website, www.theparttimejungle.com. I would love if you would subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Your feedback and support are so appreciated. See you next time where we will continue to explore the motherhood jungle together.